Well, Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Thanks. I'm glad you caught on to that. It's so great to see all of you as we get to worship God together. Thanks for being here with us. I hope that you enjoyed the singing. I certainly did. Love that. Love you singing out loud as we praise God together. You know, we also praise God by opening up his word, the Bible, and studying it. And so we're going to do a little bit of that tonight as well. I hear some kids out there. How many kids we have in the audience right now? Raise your hand if you're a kid. Okay, there's a lot of people who are definitely not kids who just raised their hands. I appreciate that thought. That means you're just as excited about tomorrow as they are, and that's awesome. I am excited about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be a great day as we celebrate Jesus' birth, but today we all get to worship him together, and we're going to do that more with the word of God in just a minute. But there is a tradition that we have here at First Free church every year where we give you an update on our take back black friday offering if you're not sure what that is that probably sounds a little strange to you the idea is that on black friday you know we spend all sorts of money because there are all these sales and so you're basically saving money by buying more stuff and so we buy lots of things and we buy christmas presents and so we as a church just encourage people every year hey why don't we spend a little less and give a little more and we come up with a project or two that we can all work on together to contribute to that's going to make a difference in the world. Sometimes globally, sometimes locally, sometimes both. And this year we're doing both. So we have one project, which is to help build a pavilion for Jubilee Community Church, which is going to help with their outreach and their helping people in need. And so that's going to cost about $45,000. We have another project, which is for Kenya and Africa. We are providing print Bibles and audio Bibles for people that cannot read, as well as motorcycles for church planners to go all over the place and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people that need to hear about him. So those are the two projects that we've lumped together for this. And I want to tell you, now you still have a few more days that you can give to the Take Back Black Friday offering. I think it's open till December 31st. And so you've got a few more days you can give. Here is where we stand right now. Remember, those totals were uh, $45,000 for, um, for the pavilion. And then what we need for the Bibles and the motorcycles is $40,000. So somebody do the quick math for me. 95, no, 85,000. I don't know what you're thinking. Somebody said 95. So 85,000, sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. $85,000 is what we're looking for. And currently our total sits at, as of sometime this morning, $67,489.34. Whoever gave that 34 cents, thank you. That was, that really put us over that hurdle there. So we have a few more days to reach our goal. If you would give, you can give tonight. You can give some other time this week, as long as it's before December 31st. That will count towards Take Back Black Friday. And of course, get your year-end giving to the church as well. We need that support, and we thank you for your generous giving. It really helps us continue to do everything that we do. Now let's dive into our study for tonight. And you know, we've taken a break from our journey through the book of Acts to do this series called The Impact of Christmas. It's why you saw the video that you just saw. And we've been looking at Christmas through some different lenses to try to get a fresh perspective. This is one of the hardest times of the year for pastors because it seems like this and Easter, we're just doing the same stuff every single year. And we always wanna make it fresh and different somehow, but it's the same source material. And don't get me wrong, the source material is fantastic. 
But we also want to not allow it to become stale. We want it to be fresh to us. We want to have, because the word of God isn't stale. It is fresh as long as we treat it that way. And so we've been trying to take a different perspective on it and look at it through a few different lenses. We talked about the lens of the cross and how Jesus came to die for us. And that's why we have a Christmas in the first place. And we talked about the lens of connection, how Jesus came to connect us with other people. We talked about conflict and Christmas. We're going to talk tomorrow morning about Christmas and the crown. When we look at Christmas through the lens of ruling in the crown, what does that mean? So tomorrow, make sure you join us online at efree.org slash Christmas for our online service. Don't, don't show up here. Christmas will be online tomorrow. So make sure that you watch that with us. But tonight's message is just going to be called the impact of Christmas. And I want to look at a portion of scripture that maybe doesn't get enough love uh, around Christmas time, but it's really powerful. And it's actually one of the few parts of scripture that is written by a woman. And it's a woman named Mary. We're going to be in Luke chapter one. So turn to your Bibles there. Uh, Luke chapter one. You'll want to follow along with me. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture tonight and you're going to want to have your Bible ready. You can write down what it is. We won't put it all on the screen, but we will for the first reading that we'll do in Luke chapter one. This section is maybe a little lesser known to some. We're going to start in verse 39 and it's something called the Magnificat. And the Magnificat uh, means to magnify. It's a proclamation of magnifying that Mary gives after she visits her cousin Elizabeth. She's had the message from the angel Gabriel who told her that she's going to give birth to this son named Jesus. She goes and visits her cousin who also has a miraculous baby inside of her because she was, she was never able to have kids and now she's able to. And so Mary, while she's staying with her cousin, ends up penning this amazing song that explains how she feels about God. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory here by starting in verse 39. And let's read this. A few days later, this is after the days later after Mary heard from the angel Gabriel, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Why don't you pause for a minute there? Let's all pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture preserved for us from a couple thousand years ago, written by Mary, uh, someone who understood these truths firsthand and experienced the miraculous in a way that it's hard for us to even imagine. 
And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from her faith and learn from what she knew about you and proclaimed about you so that we, like her, would be able to magnify you today and tomorrow as we remember your coming to this earth to rescue and redeem us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to be honest with you. Throughout my life, I have, in my relationship with God, experienced some ups and downs. I've gone through times where I have questioned where God was at in my life, and I've gone through difficult circumstances. I'm sure many of you have as well, where you're just wondering, is God, is God really there? Is he listening? Has he abandoned me? You know, I've, I've walked through those times where I'm very close to him, and I'm very distant from him. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you felt like that at some point. I, I wanted to bring that up because what happens with Mary here and what she acknowledges is at the end of a very long season of spiritual dryness or drought from the standpoint of God's relationship with his people, the people of Israel, his chosen people. Because a few hundred years earlier, there were prophets that God would give messages to who would come to the people and would deliver God's message. And then for about 400 years, there was nothing. It was silence. There was no direct communication from God. And so naturally people started to wonder, is he really there? Does he still care about us? Has he abandoned us? Is he, does he even exist? Like what is up with God? Maybe we should worship other gods. Maybe they really exist. And if you think about it, we look back on someone like, say, George Washington as ancient history. That wasn't even close to 400 years ago. So consider how long ago it was in the days of Mary for those people to be thinking about the last time God sent prophets to them 400 years earlier. It was a long time, a long season of drought. And then all of a sudden, God comes back into their world in a big way with something that he was planning and waiting for the right timing and preparing for. And Mary gets to be here on the ground floor. And what's amazing is that Mary gives us this incredible song that I think she probably spent some time crafting at Elizabeth's house. I mean, the way the text reads, you might think that Elizabeth greets her and Mary responds with this amazing ready to go song. And I don't think that's exactly what happened. I think that she responded with that after some time of being able to sit down and think it through and, and put her thoughts together and say, wow, this is what I'm thinking about God right now. I think Mary summarizes for us a perspective of God that we need today. And it's a way to look at Christmas in hopefully a fresh way. So let's walk through this together. If you've got your Bibles open there, in Luke chapter one, verse 46, Mary says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Mary calls God her savior. Now, does that mean she understood the finer nuances of of soteriology and, and how God would save people and, and what exactly he would do to save people from their sins. Did she understand exactly that this little baby growing inside of her would one day die on a cross to pay for people's sins? Did she know all of that? Maybe not, but she understood that God was a savior. She understood that God was in the business of rescuing and redeeming people. And so the first thing we see from Mary's song is that God rescues the sinners God rescues people. He is their savior. He comes to them in their time of trouble and helps them. It's a part of his character. It's who he is. He is, he is redeeming people. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her about Jesus, who would, who would be born to her, he said he would grow up to be a king, to have a throne, to have a kingdom that would never end. 
And yet here, Mary is, starts by highlighting God's salvation of people, how God cares about people, not just about ruling, not just about conquering, not just about having a throne. And then she says in verse 47, he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, as far as we know, Mary wasn't a technical servant. She wasn't like owned by someone else necessarily, but it reflects how she views herself with humility as this lowly person. I'm just a servant compared to God. And yet God, she says, took notice of this lowly servant girl. She didn't have money. She didn't have power by marrying Joseph, which was the plan. She wasn't going to get money or power. He was a construction worker who would provide a fine life for them, but it certainly wouldn't be a wealthy life for them necessarily. And yet God consistently chooses the simple things to do extraordinary things for him. If you look all over the Bible, you'll find these stories everywhere. You'll see it's a feature, not a bug, that God uses simple things to do amazing things. He, he took a man who had trouble with public speaking in Moses, and he turned him into the leader of all of his people. He took a woman from Moab named Ruth, whose family worshipped idols and were into pagan, paganism and idolatry, and he brought her into the people of God and even had her become a part of the line that would lead to Jesus. He did the same thing for a woman named Rahab, someone whose profession was not something that honored God in any way, and yet God brought her into his family and gave her a place in the line of Jesus, gave her a great husband as well. He took a man named Paul, who was known for killing and persecuting people who believed in Jesus. And he transformed his life radically so that he would be the greatest missionary the world has ever known. God likes to use simple things to do extraordinary things. He takes lowly people and does something amazing with them. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 said this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing the, what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. See, God has a habit of restoring the lowly. God restores the lowly. It's one of the things that he does. That's point number two from Mary's Magnificat. Next in verse 49, Mary says, For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Now, it's interesting that she would say, hey, God has done great things for me right after she said, I'm lowly. I'm a servant girl. She hasn't had the easiest life. She hasn't had a very comfortable or luxurious life, and yet she's able to say, he has done great things for me. And I don't think she was just thinking of this baby growing inside of her either. I think she was thinking of lots of things in her life. She actually uses a word that's a plural word there. It's megala, and it means mega awesome great things. Lots of great things. God's done lots of awesome things for me, she's saying. And she's praising God for this, even though she recognizes she's a lowly servant girl, yet God has done great things for me. That's point number three. God does great things for people. How awesome is it that the God who created the universe, who created all of this, would care enough about not just people, but would actually care about lowly people, needy people, 
God cares about every single individual so much that he would send Jesus Christ to die for them and suffer for them. A God that would do that is a great God. And so Mary praises him because he does great things for her and God does great things for people. Reading on in verse 50, she says, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. God shows grace and God shows mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. And it's interesting that Mary says he didn't just do this once. He does this from generation to generation. God keeps doing it. And he does it for all who fear God. Let's unpack that for a little bit. Generation to generation means that God has never given up on humanity. It keeps going and going and going. It's the Energizer Bunny of mercy. God just keeps giving mercy generation after generation to all those who fear God. All those who fear God. What does that mean? Fear, if you look at the Greek, actually means fear. That's what it means. It just means fear. It means to be afraid of. To be to fear something. There's nothing more complicated about it than that, except that this particular type of fear communicates the idea of respectful fear. I fear because of how much I respect. Not because I'm afraid, not because they're mean, not because they're vindictive, not because they're nasty to me. That's not why I fear them. I fear them because they are in this position of power and authority. And even if they are good and just, I fear that I don't want to get out of line. I fear if I do something wrong that I shouldn't do because they have the right and the authority and the ability to discipline me in that. That's what this fear is all about. If a child does not fear the discipline of their parents, then the parents are not being very effective in what they're doing. There has to be a healthy, respectful fear there. If a child doesn't fear the discipline of their parents, then they won't obey. And in some cases, if they don't obey, there will be great consequences, not just the consequences of discipline, but there could be greater consequences. I'll share a story about that in the message tomorrow, if you, if you watch that online, about children needing to learn to obey their parents and why that can be so dangerous if they don't. We need to have that same perspective with God, that we fear him enough to obey him even if we don't always understand it, that's the kind of fear that Mary's talking about here. And when that happens, God shows mercy from generation to generation. You know, Moses went up on a, a mountaintop at one point to get commands from God. He got 10 commandments, right, from God. And as he was up there, the people of Israel were doing what? Anyone remember? They were abandoning God. And rebelling against God. In fact, they decided that they were going to kind of find their own God, an alternate God. They, they pulled together all their jewelry and they melted down all the gold and they created a golden calf. And they said, here's a God. We can worship this God instead because we don't know what's up with that other God. Moses has been gone for a while. Maybe he's dead now. And so we're just going to do this other thing. And so later on, Moses talks to them about this and he gives them some instructions. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter four. He says, never forget the day when you stood before the Lord, your God at Mount Sinai, when he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to get this fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me 
also. They need to learn to fear me and they need to teach their children to fear me. Why is this? You get a little later in the speech and here's what he says. Remember and never forget how angry you made the Lord your God out in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until now, you have been constantly rebelling against him. Even at Mount Sinai, you made the Lord so angry, he was ready to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, get up, go down immediately for the people you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted gold and made an idol for themselves. Then the Lord also said to me, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. This is what happens when you don't fear God. You make idols out of all sorts of other things. Now, now it's not very common for us to take our gold jewelry and melt it down and form a little animal of some kind and make that our God. We have all kinds of other gods. We have, we have gods of addiction. We have gods of entertainment. We have gods of popularity. We have gods of power and money and prestige and all sorts of things that we make our God. Anything we put before God is a priority before him. Even tomorrow, I hate to say this for all the kids out there, but presence, not more important than God. I know it doesn't seem that way, but it's true. Anything we put in front of God is an idol. And those who fear God get God's mercy. That's point number four. God gives mercy to those who fear him. Mary goes on in her song. Verse 51, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. And we said earlier that God restores the lowly. Here we see the opposite. Number five, God makes low the proud and pretentious. The people who think they don't need God, the people who don't fear God, who kind of have it all together between their money and their power or whatever they've got going on in their life, their talents, whatever it is, those are the people that God will ultimately bring low. He makes low the proud and the pretentious. You know, one way or another, at some point in every person's life, eventually they will recognize, whether it's here or in the hereafter, that God really is God. And whether they recognized it now or later, the Bible says every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we can either get low on our own or we can be brought low. And we don't want the second option. It's so much better to realize our need for God now and humble ourselves before him. It seems like this may have been Mary's train of thought as well as she wrote in the next couple of verses, he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. We see again here God's care for the lowly and for the poor. The Psalms and Proverbs are filled with these statements about how God cares about these people and he wants us, he wants his followers to care about them too. He says in Proverbs 19, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Whoever gives to the poor, he says in Proverbs 28, will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. In Psalm 12, the psalmist says, the Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. You know, it's interesting to me that in the ancient world, the pagan gods that everybody worshiped were all about power, prestige, and wealth. In fact, it was thought that the kings and the rulers had special connection with the gods. Sometimes it was the kings and rulers that were considered to be gods or that they had some special access to the gods that the common people didn't have. And yet here, what do we see from Mary's song? God cares about the lowly. God cares about the poor. In fact, it's the people that are rich and powerful that God will eventually bring low 
And it's the people who are hungry and needy that God lifts up. Number six, God helps the needy. This all makes sense if you think about it. Because what does a God who created the universe need with our measly power and our measly money? Not much. He tells us how he wants us to use it and direct it and guide it, but he doesn't need it. What God wants is a people who will love him and who will obey him, who will respect him enough to fear him and go through life with the instructions that he gives. Why? Because it's best for us. And Mary's Magnificat is just this beautiful summary of God's character and of his activity in our world. But we can also see how these things come together perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me walk you through them. If you happen to be keeping track of these six points, I'm now going to give you six points of how they connect with Jesus. First of all, God's ultimate plan for rescuing sinners was to send his son Jesus to die in their place. Second, Jesus said he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He cared about the people who had difficult lives, the ones who needed restoration to God and to other people. Third, Jesus went around doing amazing things for people, healing them, restoring relationships, performing miracles. Fourth, Jesus is God's ultimate expression of mercy to those who need it, to those who fear God. You believe in God and and in Jesus as your sacrifice for sin and your savior and God's mercy for that sin is yours. That's Jesus. He is God's mercy brought to us in the flesh. Fifth, Jesus showed how the influential and wealthy Jewish leaders and the powerful Roman leaders could do nothing to stop his plan to rescue people from sin. Even their efforts to destroy him were ultimately used by him to accomplish his purposes and his mission. And sixth, Jesus helped needy people, not only with food, but also with spiritual food. He taught them about God, how God wants them to live. He designed his church to continue to help people by teaching spiritual food and also providing care for those who have physical needs. And so Jesus is actually the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of everything Mary wrote about God, all of her praises of God come true in their fullest sense in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so number seven, the ultimate expression of these divine activities is through the coming of Jesus into our world. And that, my friends, is the real impact of Christmas. It's ultimately all about what Jesus did by bringing God's character and love and mercy and grace down to us so that we could have a relationship with him so that we could be restored to God, even though we don't deserve it, even though we are sinners by nature and by choice. God did all of this. Everything we celebrate tomorrow morning is so that we could have a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Now, maybe this is old news to you. You've heard this many times before, and I hope that in your case, it's a reminder a reminder to focus tomorrow on what really matters about why we celebrate this day. There's nothing sacred about the day. In fact, at one point, Paul says, don't let anyone condemn you for not celebrating things that people call sacred days. So it's not the day that is sacred, but it's what it symbolizes to us that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And maybe this is new news to you. Maybe this is something you haven't heard a lot of before. And you need to take the time to consider, what does my relationship with God look like? Do I have the kind of relationship with him where Jesus is my savior 
Have I experienced his mercy and his grace in my life? If not, I want to encourage you to give that some thought and some prayer tonight. To think through, have you ever decided to trust in Jesus and say, I'm going to commit my life to him? It's as simple as recognizing that you're a sinful person. You're not good enough on your own. If you're one of those people that thinks, hey, I can do it on my own. I don't need God in my life. That's what Mary was talking about. Those people will be brought low. But if you can humbly come before him and recognize I'm a sinful person. I go against God's ways all the time. I need to have a healthy fear of him because I don't live for him all the time. And and hey, I don't either, by the way. But it's Jesus Christ and believing in him that gives me salvation, that restores me to God so that I can be a part of his family and have eternal life with him. If you talk with God tonight and say, Lord, I understand I'm a sinner and I want you to save me. Jesus, would you be my savior? I commit my life to you. You'll be amazed at the great things God does in your life. You'll be able to praise God just like Mary did. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray together. Father, every year we come to this incredible story of how you came into this world. And every year, Lord, I am reminded at just how awesome it is that the God of the universe would bring himself so low to enter into this world as a little baby, to live a perfect life, to be tempted but never sin, to die on a cross, a death that you didn't deserve, that we really deserve, so that you could take our sins away and give us your righteousness, Lord. So we thank you. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you for everything you have done for us, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as a personal savior to them, that you would show up in a very real way in their life tonight and show them that you want to have a relationship with them, that you want to transform their life just like you've done for so many people, no matter what their station in life is. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.